You're listening to Unfiltered, the podcast. On Unfiltered, we bring you conversations of empowerment with entrepreneurs from all walks of life. We take off the filters and take you behind the scenes, uncovering the lessons, stories, and nitty-gritty of our guests' journeys across different sectors and niches. I'm your host, Aisha Addo. Welcome to Life Unfiltered. Welcome to another episode of Unfiltered, the podcast. I'm your host, Aisha Addo, and today we are chatting with Alicia M. Campbell. Alicia is an accomplished and respected strategic HR leader with a decade of experience that encompasses all facets of human resource management, from executing successful multi-million dollar workforce recruitment and optimization projects to spearheading employee culture initiatives. Alicia has truly seen and done it all in the HR space. Her passion for the industry has led her to start her own HR consultancy and strategy agency, Culture Shift HR. As founder and principal, Alicia uses her business acumen to help companies utilize and engage their best talent while creating purposeful work environments that help businesses grow and thrive. Make sure that you have your pen and paper ready because we are going to dig deep. This is Unfiltered. Thank you so very much, Alicia, for being on the Unfiltered podcast. We are so happy to have you here and to hear your Unfiltered journey. So for those that do not know who you are, who is Alicia? Hey, thank you so much, Aisha, for having me here. So excited to talk with you and your audience. And so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alicia M. Campbell, and I am a strategic HR partner that works with brands and different companies on how they're able to optimize their talents to see increases in their bottom line, as well as efficiencies in their culture and their workforce. Oh, that's amazing. So before we get more in depth, why did you choose HR or how did HR choose you? (laughs) Yes, that is a great question because HR did choose me. I actually went to school at the time for accounting. So when I graduated from university, I had my business degree with a major in accounting and, you know, I had my heart set on being an accountant. And, you know, I came to the quick realization that, you know, the market just wasn't really hiring accountants at the time. (laughs) We had just come out of the recession and, you know, job market, especially for juniors, was just not really there. And I was really struggling to find a job, you know, post-graduation. So I went to a recruitment firm for them to kind of help me get my foot in the door, help me land an opportunity. And what actually happened was they actually offered me a job. They were like, you know, have you ever thought about being a recruiter? We thought you'd be such a great fit for the team. You know, is this something you'd be interested in? And honestly, like in all honesty, my first answer was no. Like, you know, I, I went to school for accounting. Like, I'm not supposed to be a recruiter. I'm not supposed to be people find jobs like I'm supposed to be the one getting the job like why am I you know being considered for a role that really just wasn't in my you know hemisphere at the time and you know and then I kind of took a pause and I thought about it and I'm like you know I just graduated I want to make sure that you know getting your foot in the door in any company is always the most important thing when you graduate from school so I was like you know what even if it's just short term get some business experience under my belt you know it's something on my resume and I can move forward from there and so I accepted the job and honestly I kind of never looked back since I realized that I had a really great interest in not just recruiting because recruiting in itself is a very tactical, very functional element of HR. But I really loved having an impact on people. But my day-to-day, honestly, was one, talking to people. So I had to talk to at least three to four people a day because I was working for a recruitment agency. And with the recruitment agency world, it's very volume-based. So how many people do you get in the door and how many people are you able to find opportunities for? And so I was constantly talking to people, which is great because I love learning about people, their backgrounds, you know, what they want to do. And then I loved when I was able to find 
them an opportunity. Just being able to help someone get into their niche, get into, you know, a work environment where they felt like they could be successful, where they were growing, making more money. I was like, this is awesome. So that's kind of how I got started within HR. And as I continued to kind of understand the field and understand kind of what the different opportunities kind of lie within that industry, I decided to really kind of diversify and really try to pivot my career to where I wanted it to go to within the field. Wow, that is so interesting. You know, it's funny when you said you studied accounts. I'm like, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I studied accounting, but I am not doing anything in accounting right now. But you know, that's very interesting because, you know, so for you, you actually completed it and like I completed it as well. But I think for me, like in my second year, I realized that like this was really not what I wanted to do because like my professor kind of like came to class one day and said, you know, all these things that I'm teaching you, you're not going to need in a real world. I'm just like, dude, so why are you teaching this to us, you know? Exactly. Um, And then it was also really interesting how like technology in itself kind of like just changed that sector and changed, you know, that whole environment. So that's actually really, really interesting. So what was the moment that you were like, okay, I'm actually going to keep doing this because not only am I good at it, but I actually enjoy it as well. Yeah. So I think it was when I got a really great opportunity. I decided to leave the agency life. I was in it for about three and a half years. And as much as I loved, you know, working with different people, every day was kind of something new because I was just interacting with so many different, you know, people and personalities. I really wanted a home. I wanted to really kind of do what I love doing, but for a company. And I got an amazing opportunity in 2015 where I became senior manager of HR for one of the Pan Am games in Toronto. And so when I got that role, it was, you know, with a group of people that they were just like, you know, this is our budget. We need you to find 200 plus people, go build a team, go find these volunteers, go find these game day presentators and, you know, whatever you need, let us know. And I was just given so much autonomy, so much freedom to like do a job that one, I knew I could do really well, but two, really make it like something that was me, like something that I could put my name on, something that, you know, I didn't have to really color inside the lines to do. And honestly, that role challenged me in so many different ways. It made me grow. It made me realize that I can do so much more within the HR space and just kind of finding people opportunities, but I could do coaching, I could do training, learning development, I could do budgets, I could do presentations. Like there's so much in this that I was touching at that point that I was exposed to and that I had to manage that kind of, you know, was kind of thrown into the deep end and I came out alive and I was like, this is what I meant to do. The fact that I came came into the situation, had very to little, no guidance and, you know, came out successfully on the other side and, you know, every deliverable that I set out to do got done ahead of time. I grew a team, I was a manager and, you know, for the first time in my career at that time and I was like, oh my God, like if I can do this in a year, just imagine what I could do at anywhere else. And that was kind of the, the jumping off point for me where I was like, I can't go backwards. Like the job that I had at the time when I did all that great stuff was a one-year contract and, you know, usually towards the end of a contract, you start thinking, okay, where am I going to go? Like, what other job am I going to find next? And obviously, agency life was always kind of that safe spot. Like, I know I could do it. You know, I know I would be able to be successful at it, but I'm like, I've grown past that now. Like, I have to find something that's going to continue to challenge me in a way that this job did. And so then from there, I continued on my career as an HR manager for an, an advertising agency where I was able to still recruit, but really focus more on the growth of the employee and the employee life cycle. So that was really fun because I not just, you know, with recruiting, you just get them to their job, they're off, and then, you know, you don't see them or really kind of interact them afterwards. But with this role, after I saw them every day, I saw how they were developing it in their job. I saw how they got promoted. I saw how they were winning business for the company and seeing everything kind of come full circle and knowing that, you know, I helped achieve that just really just made that presence of what I was doing that much more powerful for me and made me want it more and more. So through that opportunity, I continued to grow 
grow my career and move up. And as I was able to do that, I kind of shedded that recruitment element where I was focusing on that tactical arm of HR and more so pivoted to the employee relations, culture, initiative, and programs where I'm actually helping to cultivate and build environments that employees are happy and successful in, which, you know, makes me really, really happy. Wow, that's actually quite impressive. So like for you, what would you say was once you kind of recognized that like, okay, I'm good at this, build these different relationships and like not only taking kind of like your experience from recruitment and bringing that in there, but then also realizing that like, hey, I'm actually really good at this and I'm actually enjoying this. What would you say was like one of the biggest challenges for you in terms of like your transition from being a student of accounting and then like being put into like the recruitment sector and then now you being on your own and being able to, you know, recruit workers um, and folks for like the Pan Am Games in itself, which is like huge. So what would you say was like one of like your biggest challenges and what was one of your biggest learnings throughout that process? Yeah, great question. I think the biggest challenge, I think for one, was getting out of that recruitment cycle because when people were looking at my resume and I was applying for jobs, all they saw was a recruiter. They didn't see anything beyond that. And it was a challenge to kind of, you know, finesse and pivot my resume to show like, okay, yes, I hired people on a regular basis. I helped them find jobs, but what else do I do? Like I'm building relationships. So I'm a great people person. I'm working with different businesses across the GTA at the time and building and cultivating those business relationships. I'm negotiating contracts. I'm building out teams. I'm identifying workforce planning strategies. And as I started to peel away the layers of what I'm actually doing at the granular level, it really kind of opened my eyes like, oh my God, like I have not been marketing myself right at all. Like no wonder no one wants to hire me for a bigger position. It's because I'm not demonstrating to them clearly enough what I actually do on a day-to-day basis. And so once I kind of realized that and kind of peeled away the layers of what the role really entailed and really involved, it became a lot easier to start getting traction in the job market. But it wasn't until that point that, you know, I felt like I was very stuck. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm only ever going to be a recruiter. And this is all my life is going to be. Now, having said that, if, you know, anyone that's listening, if you are a recruiter and you love your life, like honestly, all the more power to you, nothing against recruitment or recruiters. I, you know, I still love the industry to this day, but it's hard when you are categorized as something and you're put in a box and all people see is this box and you're kicking and screaming saying, I could do so much more. Just let me out of this box. That's where I was finding myself. But, you know, luckily I was able to find the Pan Am Games and really be able to expand my own knowledge and and experience in that. And then once that opportunity kind of came in and I was really getting in the thick of it, the challenging part was that it was, everything was so new to me. So as much as I had done elements of the job, there was a lot of uncharted territory within that position that I had no reference to. So it's not like I can go in my arsenal and like my toolbox and be like, oh, I'm going to pull this program from when I built this and did that and did that. It's like, well, no, like not only am I building something from scratch, but I'm building it off of not really a foundation of having doing it before. So it was a lot of trial and error. And it was a lot of just trusting myself and trusting my instinct. Like, okay, you told these people you could do this job. You got the job. You based the interview. Now deliver. Mm. And so getting to that point was very eye-opening for me. And I had to really dig inside myself and really kind of put myself back to school, quote unquote, and like do research, leverage my network on resources, you know, ask questions because I don't want to ever come across that I don't know what I'm doing. But if I know that I'm taking the right actions, getting the information I need to get and taking all the precautions that I need to in order to be successful, then I know I'm okay. And so that's what I ended up doing. And um, there's nothing ever wrong with saying, you know what, I may not be the master at this, but I'm willing to try and I'm going to give it 100%. And that's what I did. And um, I had a great team at the time that was, you know, thankfully very team oriented and wanted to see me succeed and really wanted me to be successful. 
successful. And that was the encouragement that kind of helped me get to that finish line with that role and started to dig and look inside myself of what I could really do. And, and it all worked out. Wow, that's amazing. So basically what you did was like you played on your own personal strengths and used that to deliver on the stuff that you say you were going to deliver. Because again, like you've gained the experience with recruitment, but then this is new territory, right? So you were able to kind of like gather all like your different experiences and use that to be able to leverage on, you know, that current role, which is really like quite impressive, actually. And I know like it's one of those things, right, where you might not necessarily have the educational experience in something or the technical experience in something but then mainly because of like you know your personal experience you're able to pull in like you know different aspects of yourself which in the long run actually ends up working out really really well so one of the things that I would ask like how does one play to their strengths like you know as a business owner and then like even for some people it's like how do you even identify some of these strengths that you can pull from or you can pull into when you know you're faced with like you know different challenges as an entrepreneur or as a business owner yeah absolutely I find I usually like that was actually a challenge for me when I started my consultancy firm, Culture Shift HR, because, you know, I was such a great team player, such a great, you know, contributor to an overall vision and kind of project that when it came time for me to like, you know, carve out a little piece of that on my own and really start up my own firm, I didn't have anyone to kind of lean on per se. Like it was just me. I'm doing this on my own. I don't have any partners. And so when, say, in a situation where I know my strengths are, you know, people, relationships and, you know, conversation and team building and and all that great stuff, I can lean into that. You know, I could say, okay, hey, this is what I'm really good at. Let me focus on this. You're really good at this. You focus on that. And then, you know, we'll meet together in the middle. But there really wasn't that for me in my business. And so I had to get used to being uncomfortable, which, you know, it's kind of, I feel like it's a a little bit of an oxymoron. Like, how do you become comfortable with being uncomfortable? But you just get to a point where you realize, you know, as an entrepreneur that if my business is going to be successful and I'm it's really just me myself and I I'm really going to have to put myself out there I'm going to have to do things that are not in my comfort zone I'm going to have to try and you know if I land on my face I land on my face but you get up and you do it again and again and again and by doing that and practicing that action you're taking that weakness and you're slowly turning it into a strength so for myself for example I am not good in sales I've never saw myself as a salesperson if I don't believe in a product or I don't believe even a service, I can't sell it because I don't see the value in it. But when it came to my business, it's like, okay, even though I know I need to pitch to clients, I need to find people that are going to be interested in my services. And I'm talking to them about something that is, you know, something that's a passion of mine. Don't see it as selling, see it as just having a conversation. And so that's the approach I took when I came to finding clients for my business. It was like, hey, I'm starting this new HR consultancy business. And this is the approach I'm taking with how leaders and business people look at HR. Can I tell you a little bit about it? And then as they start to get in the conversations with people and they start to see my passion, my experience, you know, the why of what I'm doing and the importance of it in the industry, they're hooked. They're like, oh my God, like we need this so badly. How can we work with you? How can you help us? And so I really had to change, you know, selling to more so being able to passionately convey the purpose of why I do what I do. And then when I saw it that way, the light bulb went off and I'm like, it's selling so easy. Even if you don't want to call it selling, don't just call it having a passionate, you know, conversation. 
but it really, you know, took me time to get to that point because for a while I was really scared because I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, if I, if my business is solely based on how much, you know, people I can get in the door and I can't sell, my business is done. Oh my God, I'm going to be a wash up in less than a year. Like I was really, really terrified and getting over that hurdle for me and having that victory under my belt as an entrepreneur really showed me like, okay, if I can do this, I can literally do anything. So it's really just a time and a practice, but giving yourself space and giving yourself room to make mistakes because it's going to happen. And just know that if you can get back up again, you are on the right track. Wow. Thank you for that transparency. Like really letting folks know that, you know, sometimes it's even you like as an individual and as an entrepreneur, like figuring out what your strengths are can be like a process in itself, right? And it's not everyone that gets that awakening. Um, So thank you for sharing those tips as well. So I was recently listening to a webinar that you did and you touched on the importance of trust in a workplace. One of the things that I kind of like wanted you to touch on a little bit is like, why do you think building trust or why is trust important specifically for entrepreneurs when they are building up their team? Like, you know, they're starting to build up their companies and their ventures. Why is trust so important and why is it so vital? No, great question. Because, you know, ever since I've done that talk, I've been getting a lot of DMs and messages about like, oh my God, like I didn't realize it was all about trust. And, you know, now I kind of feel like I know what's been wrong with my, you know, culture all this time. And it's really funny because I think, you know, business leaders, when they look at a problem, they try to pinpoint it to everything else but company culture. Or they'll try to be like, oh yeah, company culture is, you know, is lacking or it's not very engaging. But they don't go any deeper than that. And that's what's the frustrating part is that everything starts from something. And so for me, when I started doing research on the topic of trust and and the eight pillars of trust and why it's so important, it was so clear to me that literally trust is the core of any company culture. If you want to call it culture, engagement, atmosphere, vibe, feel, whatever you want to name it, it honestly all comes down to trust. And the reason that trust is so important is because if you don't trust your people, if you don't trust, you know, your services, if you don't trust your leaders and that ecosystem that you're creating, you're fundamentally creating gaps and disconnections within your business. When things are not ebbing and flowing and kind of having this nice harmonic and harmonious kind of feeling, it's because there's been a break in the link somewhere. And so as you start to think about changes within a business, if you start to think about growth, if you start to think about, you know, how companies are pivoting and starting to change in different industries and sectors, all those things circle back to how much are you trusting your people with information, with direction, with growth, with challenges, because you are people ultimately run your business. They are your boots on the ground. They are the ones that are driving your agenda forward. And if you're not able to build that fundamental trust with your teams, how do you expect them to be able to do their job effectively, speak with your clients, push out your agenda if they feel like they can't trust you back and they know what you're doing and how you're doing it for. And so when I started to study trust in that lens, it really just made me see like trust really is the core and the heart of any team of any business. And so I encourage all leaders who, especially now during COVID-19, and you're not feeling like your team is connecting, you're not feeling like your team is really in sync, look at the last time you spoke to them. And not just spoke to them to have a meeting, but like, when's the last time you were honest with them, you were transparent with them, you were vulnerable with them. And if it was more than a week ago, you have a problem. Because especially now when things are 
not safe, when things are not clear, and there's just a lot of uncertainty around us and in the future, your teams need to know that you are their anchor and that you have their best interest at heart and that you're working to better them and better the business at the same time. I always encourage leaders and senior managers to really take a closer look at what that looks like for them because it is so imperative that you're taking that type of characteristic and you're being clear and you're being consistent with whatever messaging you're presenting your teams to show that you are on their side and that you are putting them first before the business. So it's really, really interesting. And, you know, I could honestly go on and on about trust as I've been studying it more and more, but anyone listening out there that has a team, look at your trust framework and look up the eight pillars of trust and start to see how you can make those improvements. Today's episode of Unfiltered is brought to you by Thinker Journal, the journal designed to help you hone in your ideas with prompts and planners. Grab a copy today at thinkerjournal.com and use code UNFILTERED for $5 off. This is Unfiltered. Okay, no, that is actually quite impressive. And like he touched on a lot of things, right? Because, you know, the team is one of like the most crucial aspects of any business and even like the success of any business, right? If you're an entrepreneur and you're raising capital, one of the key things that like investors look at is like, who is the team and who are the people that are kind of like supporting that process? So if you've not been able to build that trust, like you're talking about and build that, and like, this is what I call it. I call it like a sense of ownership. Like, you know, do people feel like they actually are part of, you know, your company or do they feel like they're just another employee right and I think that in itself exactly. like, you know, makes a huge difference in terms of like productivity because if they are they feel a sense of ownership or they feel a sense of like community within your organization then their input level is definitely going to change as opposed to if they feel like oh I'm just another employee and like you know this is kind of like just another paycheck honestly this is actually really really vital so thank you so much for sharing that I do want to like you know stay on like you know the topic of building that trust within, you know, your workplace and within your employees. But one of the things too that I wanted you to take us through is the eight pillars that you had mentioned of trust and what it actually means, right? You've mentioned why building that level of trust is important. But then if you're able to take us through like, you know, those eight pillars and like what they mean for like, you know, the everyday entrepreneur, that'll be really amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So with that framework, I came across it when I was doing my research on the initial uh, topic. And it was really interesting because there's always so many books and so many different resources on so many different elements of employee engagement and the workplace. But the book that I had found on trust and, you know, leading through a crisis, it, that's kind of when I kind of discovered the, the concept of the eight pillars of trust, you know, something at the time that was really new to me. And I've just been really, really fascinated by it ever since. So it's a concept that's by uh, David Godin, who talks about, well, first and foremost, he kind of talks about the 12 challenges of trust, like what are the obstacles that is getting in the way of trust? And then it talks about the eight pillars and how those circle back to kind of knocking down the challenges that you feel. The challenges that the eight pillars really focus on in rebuilding engagement is first, clarity, second, compassion, third, character, fourth, competency, fifth uh, is commitment, six is connection, seven is contribution, and eight is consistency. And so kind of understanding that whole framework and, and starting with clarity, the clarity really starts with honesty. So when you think about honesty, it's how can people trust that what you're saying is clear and how do they know when to trust things that aren't clear from either yourself or other resources? And so always speaking with honesty and making sure that you're clear and what you're 
saying and how you're saying it. So kind of like shortened to the point, that is kind of the concept of clarity. The next is compassion. So really thinking beyond yourself and making sure that you're showing how you're listening, you're showing appreciation, and you're really here to serve others. And I always tell leaders that you do not serve your employee. No, your employees do not serve you. You serve your employees. And that's that employee first, self-servant type of mentality that business leaders really need to take when it comes to instilling that trust within their teams. The third is character. And that's really all around how you demonstrate your words into actions and how you're being consistent in the morality that you show within your team. So it's always thinking and asking that question, am I doing the right thing? Is this the right direction for my team? Is this going to result in the best outcome for my peers? Thinking like that and showing that type of character is absolutely key in this framework. The next is competency. And so what's interesting about that one is that you think of competency, you usually think about, oh, the things that I know, the things that, you know, I'm very versed in and smart in. But competency in this framework actually means the opposite. What are the things that I don't know? And how am I able to get that humility and starting to acknowledge that I don't know those things and start to, you know, learn and be more versed in that area? So for example, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty right now with going back to work and understanding, okay, when is it safe to go back into the office and to travel? And a lot of employees have questions about that. And as a leader, it's okay to not know the answers. It's okay to say, hey guys, I am following the news on a regular basis, but I don't know when we're going to be able to go back into the office. But as soon as we do, I'm going to let you know and we're going to make a plan to make sure that everybody is comfortable before we get in. Showing that you don't know the answers is okay. Acknowledging that isn't a weakness. It's actually a strength because then your team knows that you're doing everything you can to find that answer. Fifth one is commitment. So what I always say as well is that great leadership demands sacrifice. And if people are making sacrifices for you, you have to make sacrifices for them. And so really understanding, you know, what does that look like to your team? Because sacrifice can take on a different face depending on who you're dealing with. So if it's, you know, unfortunately some organizations have had to cut back salaries and cut back programs. So is it the only the employees that are suffering from that cutback or is the leadership suffering from that as well? Um, so making sure that whatever happens to your team, you are also taking an effect in that as well. The next is uh, connection. So building that relationship, making sure that every interaction is really hammering down the whole framework of trust and really eliminating any areas of distrust. So being genuine, being grateful, and really just speaking the truth with whatever you know is going on. And then the seventh one is contribution. So making sure that whatever you say you that you're going to deliver, it's trusted that you're going to deliver it. You know, making sure that you are taking everything with the right knowledge, with the right efforts to ensure that you're getting the best results for your team. And then last, but I would say probably the most important is consistency. And so people never remember the big things all the time. They remember the small, gradual actions that you take. And so it's so important that you are consistent with the small things that matter the most within your team and that you're giving them opportunities to see you deliver and support them so that they know they can trust you when, you know, the chips are down. Yeah, that kind of wraps up the eight pillars of trust. And when I read that and kind of, you know, internalized that, I was just like, oh my gosh, like this makes so much sense. And mm -hmm. being able to break it down that way, so really been um, reading more and really understanding this area of, you know, leadership in, in a more in-depth way. And it's something that's so needed, I would say, in every organization. No, those are really, really good points. And it's interesting because my absolute favorite one, of course, not that like all the other ones are not important, but is around like the consistency, you know, not only consistency, even like to your team members, but then consistency to your customers and like, you know, all yeah. of those different things I think is super vital and super important. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so one of the other questions that I have for you is that like, do you 
do you dabble in anything else other than you know creating that space or other than HR specifically or is there like anything else that you kind of like dabble in or you tap into that you have built up over the past couple of years yeah so I mean in addition to you know working with clients on you know building that those positive and enjoyable workspaces I also do one-to-one coaching and so I'm actually building out a new area of my my business where I'm really taking that one-on-one personal approach and the reason that I decided to do that was because I've been finding that I come across a whole bunch of people you know just in my pastings that are like oh my god like I want to do this but I don't know how to do this or you know I want to start this but I always get like in the way or I get stuck and then I just give up and I just find that people find it challenging to hold themselves accountable and so I'm building on a program where I would work with people individually and help them to keep them accountable to their goals help them to keep accountable to their projects initiatives you know anything that they kind of have going on in life and I think it's so important the element of accountability because it's accountability is easier said than done it's so easy to say oh yeah oh my god I'm going to sit down and within you know six weeks I'm going to write that book or oh my goodness I'm going to sit down and start that business that I've been wanting to start for five years but life gets in the way and it's hard to keep yourself accountable when there's conflicting priorities and you know things are coming up or things go wrong and then things go right it it can be a challenge and so what I'm hoping to provide in the service and in one-to-one coaching is really being able to be that support for people at that heart-to-heart level so like what is it that you want to achieve but why is that what you want to do what is the purpose behind it what impact are you looking to make what difference do you want to kind of see at the end of this all and really get people to just to start to take that time for themselves reflect and really build purposeful businesses or build you know or write purposeful books or you know perform purposeful dances whatever it is their thing and that they want to do but just can't get out of their own way I want to help them achieve that and so that's a program that I'm building out as well and in addition to the other services that Culture Shift HR currently offers and then second to that is I'm actually um, I had an epiphany over the last weekend and I want to excitedly build an HR for an HR program so basically a master class that really helps people understand the HR space and the HR world because to a lot of even people leaders they don't understand what HR is supposed to do and be a lot of people when they hear HR they think benefits or payroll and you know paperwork but HR can be a very dynamic area of your business to me one of the most important pillars of a business because it's all about people strategy it's all about workforce planning and your people drive your business and so I want to build a master class on understanding um, HR and then as well as it being a tool for the HR professionals on how they can grow their career within the HR field I get tons of requests oh my god I feel so stuck how can I move forward how can I be that strategic HR partner that I want my company to see me at and how can I move up and I want to help provide a platform for people to understand how they can start to come and show up as a strategic partner and start to deliver on things in a different months that adds more value to their companies so I'm super excited about these two initiatives and I'm hoping to get those underway very very soon no that sounds really interesting and like that sounds exciting as well because you're creating and building a platform specifically for people that are in a particular sector that understand you know they kind of like understand the sector but then they also understand the challenges and you're going to be that perfect bridge for them so I think that is very very nice so what would you say then the tips that you would provide to these people in terms of like you know the HR to do specifically for entrepreneurs or like even folks that are trying to get into the HR space specifically that you would say are paramount to the building of their businesses or building of their brands or their companies? Yeah, great question. I would say number one is really understand the type of culture that you're looking to build. If you're an entrepreneur and you're starting to build out your team, starting to kind of build out, you know, more functions within your business, really start to understand what 
what is the core engine of what you do? So if you're providing, say, healthcare product or skincare products, as an example, it's like, how can you make sure that your employees are embodying the experience that you want your end customer to have? So if you want your customer to feel luscious and relaxed after, you know, using your lotion and using your fragrances, as an example, make sure that you're giving that and you're creating an environment that cultivates that type of feeling and emotion within your culture. So making sure people feel appreciated, making sure, you know, your employees feel valued and that they're contributing to something bigger than themselves will always leak through to the customer at the end of the line because everything that we do, everything that we touch and put an action towards, there's an energy to it. And so your customer experience is all about the employee experience because that is going to trickle through. So I would, you know, really think about and write it out what you want that experience to look like and always tie that back to your people purpose and that program of how you're going to facilitate that type of culture within your business. And I would say for anyone in the HR space that's really looking to grow their career in HR and trying to figure out how they can kind of get out of that box that, that they've been put into is to start putting your hand up for things you want to do. So getting that experience, even though if it's not directly in your job description, can be a challenge. But if you notice that, okay, hey, we need to do an employee engagement survey. I would love to either lead it or partner with whomever's leading it so that I can get exposure and learn on what an employee engagement survey looks like. What is the process? What are the outcomes? How do we then use that data to then drive actions in the business? Just that simple ask and getting that lens of how something is done, you can now start to understand it and then start to then use that within your own role. And two, which is most important, start to identify that on your resume. Because if you do eventually want to start going somewhere else and start you know, looking for another role, the fact that you can now start to put these items on your resume and these little kind of side projects that you have going on are the things that are going to stand out. And that's what's going to start to open those doors for you that may not be open to you at the present time. Wow. No, thank you so much. Those are some really good tips. And I think you literally like, you know, hit the nail on the head there in terms of like all the different aspects of this that you shared. So like before we let you go, one final question that I have for you. I mean, from your experience and from the things that you've been saying, you're one person that has diversified, you know, your different sectors in different ways. And then you also happen to be in the HR space. So you know for a fact that like diversification is something that is of utmost importance. So one of the things that I'll say is that like, why do you think in your experience, diversification of your businesses in itself is important? And then why is diversity and inclusion something that folks need to keep in mind when they are building up their teams or they're building up, you know, their businesses for success? Yeah, absolutely. So diversification in your business, I think right now, especially at a time like this, is kind of a no-brainer. I feel like this pandemic has really shown us and shown really everybody how if you had one way of doing something, it probably doesn't work anymore. You have to be able to really take what if you have a physical product, make it into a digital product. If you are used to meeting with people in person, you need to take that meeting and make it virtual and just as engaging and as thoughtful and as purposeful as it was of the in-person version. We really have to get innovative in times like these because one, resources are at a minimum. You know, we're constrained in all possible ways in terms of where we can go, how we get there. And that all impacts your business. And so if you're a business owner right now and, and you're looking down the rest of the barrel of 2020 and saying, oh my gosh, how am I going to make it through this year? Think about how you can take your main service or product offering and learn how to digitize it. So making sure you have a strong online platform, making sure that you have a strong brand presence, making sure that you're connecting with your customers, which is probably one, if not the most important thing right now, because everybody is creating that connection. People don't always want this virtual connection. It can get exhausting. It can, it's very time absorbing and you want to 
make sure that if someone is making the time for you, that your connection is genuine, that it's authentic, and that it's what is is going to serve the need they have right now. So making sure your one-to-one client and customer connections are very key to keeping your business thriving, I would say for the rest of 2020. And then on your note, Aisha, on you know diversity and inclusion, it's really funny because I've been having a lot of conversations around this topic. And when it comes to DNI, it's always a part of the well, not for every company. I don't want to paint any brush. I don't want to, you know, just have one paintbrush for every organization out there. But I would say for I would say for a select few organizations, DNI is a part of that nice to have bucket. It's a part of that, oh, you know, there's a budget, but you know, goodness forbid, if we're low on sales one month, we have to take it out of the DNI budget. Or, you know, say we're hitting a rough quarter, oh, we gotta make the DNI budget smaller or, you know, diversity budget smaller. The conversations I've been having around that issue, because it has come up in, in a lot of the conversations I've been having, is that why? Why should DNI, as it start to really now kind of have a voice at the table and start to be one of those buzzwords in HR circles, is why does it now need to go to the bottom of the list? Why is it now not a priority? And it's really sad to see that that is the approach that some companies are taking. For, but for the companies that are still focusing on DNI, right now more than ever, I would say it's so important to be very conscious of your diversity and inclusion strategy. And the reason is because if you have diversity in thought, if you have diversity in skill set, diversity in people and their backgrounds, you are bringing so much more ideas and solutions and strategies to the table than if you did not have those individuals. And so I'm all about you know being able to think strategically with your DNI agenda and your purpose and making sure that you're using it not just within the realm of HR, but really how it impacts all areas of your business. How does it impact the way that you grow, how you sell, how you connect with your consumer, how it is that you strategize. It's an area that truly needs to be inserted and included in all areas of a business. And the businesses that do that and do that very well are the ones that are succeeding right now and the ones that are have really set themselves up for success, not only just for 2020, but for really beyond because being able to understand the power of your diversity and inclusion strategy, you're unlocking so much more engagement and potential in your talent that probably not at the forefront before. And so you're going to now be able to harness that and be able to cultivate a conversation around that. And again, building that trust to show your employees that how you value and want to use them to their full capacity is what's going to really sustain your business in the long run. So I am a massive diversity and inclusion advocate and you know I'm learning more and more in that space and leveraging my network who have key thought leaders in this area because it goes very, very deep. But it's something that I'm, I'm encouraging everybody to you know refocus to and to not put on hold and to not pause. Wow, no, that actually makes some really, really good points there because like I've been thinking that, you know, in our current state and because of like just the way things are, is diversity and inclusion something that is being left behind in the conversations? As you know, companies and businesses are moving more to like a digital area and a digital aspect. Does that mean that diversity and inclusion in itself is also going to kind of like be moved to the back burner? So I love the fact that you talked about people like really using this time to also put together their DNI strategies and ensuring that it's not something that you're leaving behind because it is actually more important now than it ever was. Because now more than ever, you need that diversity, you know, in different areas and stuff like that, because you cannot be a one track mind business just because of like just the way that things are moving. So thank you so very much for sharing that. Honestly, it has been such a pleasure hearing you share about your experiences and, you know, just being honest and unfiltered with us as well. Like, honestly, really, really appreciate that. So this is a final question that I normally ask all of my guests. And it's really just to get a sense of where they are now and like, you know, where they could have been and where they are. So that question is, if you could do this all over again, would you? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
I would do it all over again. To be honest, I'd probably do it sooner. Early on in my career, I had a lot of self-confidence issues and that has really held me back in doing what I've always wanted to do, held me back from starting those conversations, held me back from really evolving and not into the business person that I want to be, but being the woman that I want to be. And, you know, kind of now seeing where I am today and kind of everything that I went through and to get to this point, it's helped to build my confidence because now I can honestly stand before anybody and say, oh, you want me to do that? Yeah, I could do that. Oh, you need me to do this? I could do that. Like I can say yes to anything so confidently that it's allowed me to really see my business in a whole new light. And so I wish I had that epiphany, you know, a couple years back because then I would, you know, I mean, who knows where I would be, but I would have taken a lot of more risks earlier on in my career. And I would say even more importantly, I would have probably trusted myself a lot more earlier on in, in life and just knowing, you know, that I can handle really anything that comes my way. So yeah, so I definitely, I do it again, but just hopefully I'm going <laughs> to wind back the clock a couple of years and do it sooner. Wow. Thank you so very much for sharing that and for being very authentic and raw about that. I really appreciate it. Honestly, Alina, it has been such a pleasure having you on the Unfiltered podcast. So before we let you go, where can people find you? Where can people find out more about your upcoming masterclasses? Um, if they want to connect with you on a consultant level or on like coaching level, where can they find you and get in touch with you? Yes, absolutely. So I can be reached at Alicia at cultureshifthr.com and Alicia is spelled A-L-Y-S-H-A because I know there's a lot of ways to spell Alicia these days. And then you can connect with me on social media. LinkedIn is Alicia M. Campbell. Instagram is alicia.m.campbell and Twitter is Alicia M. Campbell. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so very much. Are there any other final thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience before we let you go? Yes, I would just say a motto that I live by that I encourage everybody to embody as well is if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. So just know that if you want to grow, if you want to be better, if you want to achieve higher things. It's going to be hard. It's going to put you through the ringer, but that's where growth happens. Growth happens outside of our comfort zone. So don't be afraid of it. Go after it and it will change your life forever. Amazing. I couldn't have said that better myself. Thank you so very much, Alicia. That was beautiful. And honestly, thank you so much. Anytime. Can't wait to come back. Me too. Well, there you have it, folks. Another episode of Unfiltered. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did and you took notes on all of the tips that were dropped today. Make sure that you're following Miss Alicia on all social media platforms. And a little reminder for you, the bigger the dream, the more important the team. Make sure that you share this with a friend and that you follow us at Unfiltered with Aisha on Instagram. Until next time, this is Unfiltered. Unfiltered.